today. I don't know. Just said like, hey, do you have a word? You know? Should have pulled uh, what I experienced when I traveled to Russia one time where every little church gathering we entered into, they said, well, surely you have a word for us. So I ended up preaching like 15 times in nine days, something like that. All original sermons too. No, it's... Oh, man. Spring that on him just yet, you know. Let him get a little used to the community before we spring stuff like that on him. Uh, so excited to, to welcome Matt into our community. And as we continue to worship this morning, now moving uh, to the Word of God, I'll be preaching this morning a new sermon series called Not Like Me, uh, as you saw on the bulletin cover. And uh, we're looking at stories where Jesus hung out with the wrong people. Jesus hung out with the wrong people. He had this reputation for hanging out with the wrong people crowd. Uh, and this morning we're starting in Luke 7 to kind of frame uh, the whole sermon series with one of, uh, I, I feel like I say this every week, one of my favorite stories, but it's, it's one of my favorites, one of my like a, a thousand favorite stories from the Bible. But this is a really, this is a really good one, trust me, trust me on this one. No, uh, Luke 7 starting in verse 36, and uh, I just ask you if you want to follow along and see where I'm at, I'm not going to begin by reading it because I'm going to kind of work through the text in the sermon. But if you want to have it open to see where I'm at, see where we're at in the story, what's unfolding, uh, that might be helpful to just give you a sense of where, where we're at. I said Jesus hung out with the wrong people. Just prior to this story, G these are Jesus' words. He's talking about John the Baptist. He says, John the Baptist came neither eating bread nor drinking wine, and people said, he's got a demon. And then he said, but the Son of Man, speaking of himself, came eating and drinking, and you say, he's a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. And so Jesus was well aware that he was, uh, he was creating a bad reputation for himself amongst some people, that people were discrediting his ministry, they were doubting whether he should be hanging out with the people. Maybe he didn't even know he, who he was hanging out with. And so there's already these questions emerging about Jesus and the type of people he hung out with. And then we get to today's story. I want to start by just sharing a, a confession that I like to people watch. I really like to people watch. Anybody out there with me? Just like, yeah, okay. I knew I wasn't alone. I really like to people watch, though. I, I don't know. Like, if there, was, if there was an Olympic competition, I think I might, I might be way up there. I like to imagine the conversations, think about who these people are together, all of these things. Airports are great places to people watch. Airports are wonderful places. Where are they going? What is the story here? It's really fun. Where are they headed? Uh, look at families chasing kids all over. Oh, you just know they're in for a long day. And I can say that because I know people look at us and think that when we're there with our family of six in the airport. Disneyland, I've found, is also an excellent place to people watch. You can just sit there at you know, any of the restaurants and just watch, and there's all kinds of different people, not only from all over the country, but from all over the world. Just there's people galore. It's so fun to people watch. But my all-time favorite place to people watch, many of you maybe can guess this if you are getting to know me, is Starbucks. Starbucks is just my favorite place to people watch. I like to hunker down. And as I'm kind of working and reading, then kind of gaze around, see who's in there, see what they're up to. Maybe that's creepy. I don't care. I don't care. I do it. I like to do it, okay? I've sat long enough in a Starbucks. I remember sitting in a Starbucks in Washington and seeing people do job interviews. This guy's sitting there, and there's a string of people coming in. He's using Starbucks as his office to do job interviews. And after a while, maybe I eavesdrop too. I mean, I'm just being honest. I kind of eavesdrop. I wanted to go over to the guy and be like, hey, listen, I can make this decision for you. I know. <laughs> I saw the talent, 
and I know what you need to do here. I don't know what your business is. I don't know what you're interviewing for, but I could probably make the decision right now. Uh, when I recently moved to Simi Valley, oh man, when I, whew, this was a good one. I watched a blindside breakup happen right before my eyes. I saw the whole thing. I was sitting outside at the Regal Starbucks, and I saw these two girls come up, and they were like late high school, early college, and they were like setting the whole thing up, who should sit where, and you know, we don't want him to know that, that you're here with me as my backup, just in case this goes wrong. The girl brought some backup. You know, I don't know what the friend was going to do if it went poorly, you know, if he's about to slap her, if she's going to come in and be like, no, I don't know what... They thought was going to happen, but she brought the back up. And so they figured out, like, if I sit outside and he'll see me and come up and you can be inside watching through the window and he'll never know you're there. And so they're setting this whole thing up. And I'm like, this is pretty cool. What's going to go down? So the guy comes up totally unsuspecting. And I wanted to be like, homeboy, don't. No, 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 stop. Stop. Listen, you don't want to walk into this, but he walked into it, and he's all smiles. He apparently, again, I'm eavesdropping. I'm kind of creepy like that. And the story unfolds, and, you know, hey, how's your summer been? Been missing you. And then it's like, oh, it's not you. It's me. Went through the whole thing, and his face went from like, oh, it's so good to see you, to like, oh, this is happening right now. And then awkwardly, they kind of hugged, and he said, I'll never forget it. Maybe when I'm not feeling so crappy, I'll text you or something. <laughs> people watching. I love people watching. I love it. Because most of the time, I don't get to get in on these conversations. You just kind of see people and you wonder, like, what is that person about? You can read their emotions. You can get a sense of maybe what they're doing in the Starbucks that day. What are they studying? What are they reading? What are they passionate about? Why'd they choose those clothes? What's up with that hairstyle? I ask these questions. Are they boyfriend and girlfriend, brother and sister? What's going on there? I love to people watch. The reality is we see people all the time. We see people everywhere. Like I can look out and see all of you. But the question is, the deeper question, is do we really see people? I think if that's kind of confusing to you, stay with me. Helen Keller said, I love this, coming from Helen Keller, the only thing worse than being blind is having sight but no vision. Having the gift of sight. Sight is such a miraculous thing. Have you, have you thought of the, I really thought this week about the miracle of sight. That these eyes that we have and the way they send things to our brain and the way it comes back out for colors and all of these things, these amazing things, it's a, it's a miracle. But we can have sight but no vision. We can have sight, but not really see. This is a theme in the Bible, in fact, this theme of, oh, you see. You see things, but you don't really understand. You don't really perceive what's going on here. This is going all the way back to the prophet Isaiah, who was actually told to tell the people of God, in an effort to call them back to God, he was told to go and tell them, how would you like it if this was your message to people? Go out there and tell all the people that we want you to always be hearing but not understanding. Always be seeing but never perceiving. This was the message God gave to the people through the prophet Isaiah. And Jesus actually picks this up. He says that's why he teaches people in parables. He teaches in stories so that people will hear 
We'll see, we'll, we'll try to understand, but only those who can see what's going on at a really real level, a deeper level, only those people will truly understand what God is up to, will truly get the call of God to take the next step in their faith. And so Jesus uses this same language. He says, I teach in parables, and he quotes Isaiah, so that people will always be hearing, but not quite understanding unless they go to the next level. Always be seeing, but not quite perceiving unless they're willing to tackle the deeper truth. And so the question that I want to tackle today is whether we really see people. Do we really see on that deeper level, that next level vision type seeing? Or do we keep it at the, well, I see people, I've seen enough. And so the first question I want to ask as we begin this sermon series, Not Like Me, is that when we see people, because we see people every day, what do we see? Maybe, maybe think about what words, adjectives, descriptors do you find yourself using on a fairly regular basis about the people you take in with your eyes? So this is a central issue in our story today about truly seeing people People created in the image of God, in the likeness of God, or people as other categories of people, other categories of human beings, maybe not even as human beings. So our text, Luke 7, 36 through 50. I apologize for this picture, but I thought this was the greatest uh, piece of art that I saw that really captured this full scene. Uh, Jesus is invited to the home of a Pharisee named Simon. Luke makes it very clear a number of times that this man is a Pharisee. This is important for Luke in setting up the story to let us know that this man, Simon, is a highly regarded, highly esteemed religious leader in the community. Jesus has been invited to his house. A dinner party ensues. Uh, I did a little bit of reading to try to understand the context. And apparently in the culture of that time, these parties, it was, it was kind of understood that you would invite somebody to this party and then it wouldn't just be dinner but it would be much more than that. It would be a sharing of ideas. There'd be some time afterwards where you'd have a long conversation, philosophical, theological conversations about what we believe and how the world is structured. You'd have these kind of things. And especially people like Simon the Pharisee would host these large dinner parties. And so they're at dinner, and apparently at this point in the story where we enter in, where we pick it up today, they're reclined at the table. And I've tried to understand what this means, and the best I can understand it is it means they were probably at a low table, so either on the floor or at very low seats with their feet behind them. So their feet are not tucked under the table. As you'll see as the story unfolds, it wouldn't really work if their feet were under the table. So they're kind of reclined, like maybe leaning with their feet tucked behind them, away from the table. They're reclined. And as they're reclined at the table, maybe starting to enter into this time after dinner, where they're starting to share ideas and, 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 and thinking about big ideas about who God is and how the world is ordered. And Simon the Pharisee is telling everybody, he's waxing eloquently about everything he knows and understands and how righteous he is. And at this point, this woman comes in. This woman comes in and she doesn't belong. She doesn't belong there. She shouldn't be there. Luke describes her as someone, the, the first thing he says about her is that she lived a sinful life. He doesn't tell us what she's done. That's not this particular story where he says, oh yeah, she was a prostitute. or she was." He doesn't say it, but whatever she has done 
it's been open, public, it's been out there enough that everybody in town kind of knows, has kind of agreed that she is not like us. She's not like me. She is in this other category of person called sinner. She's over there. We're over here. So she enters the scene. She enters the house of a Pharisee. What is she doing there? She's ruining everything. Her presence is making everyone uncomfortable. It's like if there was a collective blood pressure in the room, it's starting to escalate and nobody knows what to do and everybody's on edge and they don't like what's happening and she's there and they can't do anything about it. She's there. Blatant disregard for social religious norms of the day. She just barges in and she begins to make a scene as if her presence alone wasn't bad enough. She starts crying all over Jesus' feet. Can you picture this? Like, I was just trying to imagine, like, this, I don't think this could even happen today. I don't, I don't know. I, I, I just can't even fathom it. This woman coming in and bawling her eyes out all over Jesus' feet. And then to make matters worse, it's like she, oh, whoops, she doesn't have a towel now to take care of the really wet, teary feet. So she takes her hair and starts wiping his feet up with her hair. Oh my gosh, she has gone too far. What is going on here? And then, it doesn't end there. She's kissing his feet, wipe. What is she do? What is she thinking? She she comes up with a bottle of perfume and starts anointing his feet with this perfume. So maybe at this point she's even like massaging his feet. Can you? I mean, is this making this make me uncomfortable? Right? If this unfolded at a dinner party you're at, oh, we're having a nice dinner party. Oh, the Trojans really finished the season strong. Oh, can you believe the Chargers moved to town? Okay, woman bawling all over somebody's feet. Uh, not an everyday occurrence. What is happening here? This would make us all uncomfortable. All of us would be uncomfortable. I mean, she's making an absolute scene. The dinner party is ruined. It's a total disaster. Party is over. And so Simon, now Simon the Pharisee, remember, he's astounded that Jesus would let this happen. And he says to himself, that's what the text says, Simon says to himself, If this man were a prophet, this man were truly holy, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. I kind of imagine here when it says he says to himself that this is kind of one of those under his breath but loud enough so that everybody knows where Simon stands. You know what I'm talking about? Where it's like, I'm saying this to myself, but everybody needs to know what I think about this situation unfolding. If this man were truly holy, he would know that she is a sinner. This is kind of what's going on here. So Simon sees this woman. He sees her. She's there. She's making a scene. And he basically just says, hey, if Jesus were really holy, if he was really somebody worthy of my conversation, worthy of my time, worthy of having this religious debate with, worthy of anything, he wouldn't let somebody like her be here right now. And he puts this label on her, right? Sinner. That's who she is. But Jesus, because um, he's Jesus, catches what Simon says. He catches it. Because maybe it's not so much under his breath. And he launches into a parable. 
He tells this parable where he says basically there's somebody who owes a lot of money, who has a large debt, and somebody who has a small debt, and the person to whom they owe the money forgives both debts. It's a very simple parable. This is one of those like you don't really have to look very hard to see what Jesus is up to. And he says to Simon, Simon, who do you think, who do you think, and it's interesting the word he uses here, who do you think will love the forgiver more? Not who do you think will be happier? Who do you think will walk away um, feeling a little better? But who will respond towards the forgiver with more love? The person who owed a lot or the person who owed very little? A very simple parable, right? Simon, because basically he has a basic, you know, Simon understands math, says, I suppose the one with larger debt. And Jesus says, yes, you did it. Well done, Simon. And Simon's maybe feeling like, okay, now things are going a little better. I answered correctly. I have done well. We're getting back on track. We're ignoring the woman. We're getting back to maybe talking about some theological things. And okay, yes, the one who owed more would be more excited about being forgiven. Simon has stepped into his own mousetrap. And here comes Jesus' reversal. And this is my favorite part of the story. So check this out. Jesus turns to the woman. Simon now is at his back. He's kind of disregarding Simon at this point. And he looks at the woman But he's talking to Simon. And he says, Simon, do you see this woman? This is the big question of the text. Simon, do you see this woman? This is a penetrating question. This is not just a, can you physically see her with your eyes? Simon, do you see this woman? He's got his back to Simon. Jesus is is taking in this woman. He is seeing her, not as sinner, as Simon sees her, but he's asking, Simon, how do you see her? It's kind of on the surface an absurd question, right? Yeah, he sees her. She's making a fool of herself. She's ruined my dinner party. She's making me uncomfortable. Let's get her out of here. I absolutely 100% see her. What is this question about? I mean, Simon's probably wondering, Jesus, do you see her? Are you, are you not taking in this situation, Jesus? But Jesus is asking this, this deeper question of how do you see her? Because Simon sees a sinner, someone not like him. He sees that there's a category for people like her, and when you see them, it's easy. You put them in that category, and now you're done with them. You don't have to see them anymore if you don't want to. She's a sinner. She's unholy. She's outside of God's preferred chosen people. She's made her mistakes publicly, so it's easy to see that she isn't worth seeing. She's no longer a child of God, a human being created in the God. Totally different category for her. Sinner. That's her title. That's all she is to Simon. A sinner. Someone that could damage Simon's reputation if he chose to relate to her, someone who could cause trouble for him in his religious world, in his religious construct. But Jesus is about to ruin all of that for Simon. And Jesus is about to get himself in a a world of trouble here. 
He's going to get himself in trouble here. This is kind of what led Jesus to the cross. He was such a nice guy. He did all these great things. It's things like this that put Jesus on the road to the cross. He gets himself in trouble. He says, Simon, I came in and you didn't even give me water for my feet. But she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. There was some formalities here that Simon had overlooked in bringing Jesus into his home. And Jesus isn't necessarily criticizing Simon and say, you're just not a good host. It's deeper than that. It's Simon, you didn't, you didn't do the basic things. You didn't greet me with a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You didn't put oil on my head. She poured perfume on my feet. And now he gets himself in really big trouble. Therefore I tell you, Jesus says to Simon, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Now Jesus has gone and done it. He, he is saying to, it's hard for us maybe to, to really wrap our minds around what's going here. Maybe it's just for me. That Jesus has, has looked at this woman who's a, just, everybody's decided she's a just terrible sinner, terrible person. And he looks at her in this moment and says, your sins are forgiven. We don't know what she did to earn that. We don't know if she did anything to earn that. But this is a scandalous moment. Jesus has the audacity to believe this woman could be forgiven. So for Simon, Jesus is just out of his mind at this point. He is on another planet. You don't do this. This is not the way the world works. You're not allowed to do this. You cannot just say to her, she's forgiven. It doesn't work that way. Especially if you're a holy person in this religious thing that we've all agreed upon. There's all these rules. And you can't do it this way, Jesus. You're messing the whole thing up. Forgiveness for her, you are out of your mind. Out of your mind. Jesus assessing everything she has done and then looking at Simon and thinking of Simon's life says, she gets it, you don't. This is crazy for Simon the Pharisee to take in. This is crazy for those who are saying, wait, what? Simon doesn't get it? She does? It's not adding up. It's not adding up. She is the wrong kind of person for Jesus if he truly is holy, perfect, God incarnate. She's the wrong kind of person. Simon is the right kind of person. But again, Jesus says, she gets it, you don't. Because she, and here's where it all hinges on. This is what I said.
There we go. I'll just have to use my hands less. Less karate chopping. So where were we? So it appears in this story, it appears here, that the ability or inability to understand forgiveness and, and, and accept forgiveness, not just for oneself but for others, is, is really the linchpin, the turning point of this text. And the question is, why would someone, why would someone be so angry about forgiveness? Right? I mean, why is, somebody, why is Simon upset about forgiveness? I found this interesting quote. What's so bad about forgiveness, you may be wondering? Nothing. As long as you believe you need it. See, because for the Simons of the world, they don't believe they need forgiveness. They're good people. They've done everything right. They followed all the rules. They've achieved right standing with God on their own, all by themselves. Thank you very much. I know the rules. I followed them. I've stayed within the lines. I never color outside the lines. I never try to push the boundaries. I'm good to go. Thanks, but no thanks on the whole forgiveness thing. I'm pretty good. Do you know people like this? I do. I know people like this who, who, who don't really believe they need forgiveness don't really believe they've done anything that wrong. I know religious people like this. I know non-religious people like this. That God thing, I don't need any of that. I'm good to go. I'm a really good person. David Lowe's continues, and this is where I got this quote, and I, I love, he talks about forgiveness, so I think it's important, uh, his words here. He says, forgiveness, what, what, what is, what's such a big deal about this forgiveness thing? Here's what he says. Forgiveness cancels relational debt. We thought about it that way? opens up the future, which is why it's so valuable, but more, and here's what, I love this phrase, forgiveness gives you back yourself. Forgiveness gives you back yourself. You see, after a while, being indebted, owing others, knowing yourself first and foremost as a sinner, as this woman probably knew herself to be. Everybody else calls me sinner. I guess that's who I am. I guess that's all I'll ever amount to. That's all I'll ever be. He says, you are no more, no less than what you've done, the mistakes you made, the debt you owe. But when you are forgiven, all these limitations disappear. You're restored, you're renewed, you're set free. This woman was willing to make an absolute scene to get forgiveness. She made a scene so that she would be seen by Jesus and she gets forgiveness, she gets her life back, she gets her identity, her dignity, her humanity back. That's a big deal. She gets her humanity back. Forgiveness, actually being seen as a, a child of God, creating the image of God, gets her her humanity back. She's no longer just, yeah, sinner. We all know who she is. She's child of God, forgiven. It gets her humanity back. And Simon, rather than commending her, and this is the interesting part, rather than commending her for seeking forgiveness, I mean, you might think that a religious authority might say, this is great. She's come to her senses. She's seeking God again. She's back on the path. Hallelujah. Instead, he, he just, he doesn't have space for this kind of a thing in his religious construct. It just doesn't work this way. It just doesn't work this way. Forgiveness doesn't work this way because, again, he doesn't understand he doesn't believe he needs forgiveness. 
It's easy to judge Simon, though, right? It's easy for us to stand here and judge Simon, for me to say, oh, I know the Simon. I know all those Simons out there. But in judging Simon, I fear we become Simon. We also become Simon. I mean, I, I see Simon all around us where, where we judge others, Christians, non-Christians. We judge them. We say these things. We can't imagine. that There's some people that we just cannot imagine they could come to know Christ. They've done too many terrible things. There's no way they could come to know Jesus. And we do this all the time. Recently, I've sat in Starbucks. <laughs> back to Starbucks. It all goes back to Starbucks. And I've, and, I've, and I've tried to see people a little differently, especially in the last weeks as I've thought about this upcoming sermon series. I've tried to imagine where people are at with faith, with Christ. Are the people in there, it just it's piqued my curiosity. Are, are there, as I look around the room, try to see people not just as, oh, that's that person doing this, wearing that, looking like this, talking to their, about to break up with their boyfriend. But imagining, what is their story? What is their faith journey? Do they have a relationship with Christ? Have they ever experienced that? Are they, who are they in that respect? I wonder how many are lonely, depressed, or in need of community, in need of family, in need of a non-judgmental listening ear. Who are these people? I think of that kid who walked away from that breakup. And rather than uh, taking the opportunity to get a laugh out of it, I wonder where did he go after that? Did he have somebody to help him pick up the pieces? Did he have somebody to listen to him, care for him? Or did he just go home alone and play some video games and say, well, that was pretty bad? I just started wondering more about the human aspect of people and, and do they know about a God that loves them and sees them as child of God? All these years working with students, I spent about 12 years before coming here working with students, and it was remarkable to learn how many didn't have relationships with parents, had terrible relationships with parents. Even those who had grown up in the church, who, who just, they didn't find family at church, they didn't find acceptance at church, they were, they were looking then in all these other places, maybe like this woman, seeking acceptance in the wrong places. Who knows where her story began, maybe experiencing rejection in places that should have been places of love and affirmation and support, but they felt rejection there, like this woman. I mean, think about Simon the Pharisee. Let's go back to the story. He's a leader in the synagogue, but the synagogue is not a safe place, apparently, for somebody to come and work out their faith and their, and their life of faith with God. It's not a safe place. You're not allowed to come in there and have any problems, because this woman She's trying to get her life back together, and Simon's like, uh-uh, I've got nothing to, I don't want anything to do with you, and he's a leader of the religious community. And so I thought about that, and I said, but is the church today, are we much different? Is this a safe place where we really see people, and we really have a, at the beginning, a non-judgmental eye towards people where we say, like, we want you to come in and learn about Christ, and it's a safe place to ask your questions. It, are we that way? Are we safe people to be around? And this is not about the, like, let's create a safe space. That's the big, like, cultural talking, like, we're going to have these safe, safe spaces for people. That's not what I'm talking about. This is a different conversation. This is about can people be who they are, or do we expect them to get it all cleaned up, and then we might see you? Or can we see you as a child of God, created in the image and likeness of God before you ever get it cleaned up? And when we walk alongside people long enough, to take that journey with them. 
I want to share just one more thing. If you, why I think this is very important in, in thinking about the, uh, the kind of emerging generation, if you will. A few years ago, Barna asked uh, the millennial generation, these are children, uh, children, <laughs> there I go, children, people, age 18 to 29. Can you imagine, hello, 29-year-old, you are still a children. Um, there you go. They asked the millennial generation, people age 18 to 29, what they thought of church. Millennials who don't go to church, here's what they said. Isn't this lovely about us, by the way? They said Christians are judgmental, 87% said that. Hypocritical, 85% said that. Anti-homosexual, 91% said that. And just generally insensitive to others. Isn't that fun? That's what we're known by? For this, this group of people that hopefully our hearts break for them, that they would come to know Christ and uh, you think about any 18 to 29-year-olds you know and the journeys they're on and the questions they're asking. I mean, this description makes us sound a lot more like Simon the Pharisee than Jesus. But, last thing, there's possibility of redemption for Simon. The really cool thing about this text is that we don't know what happens to Simon after he leaves. We don't know. Uh, in my reading and studying on this, some people think that Simon probably, he just... Uh, you know, he just stuck to his ways. He couldn't change. No way could he change. Others said that, uh, oh, no, Simon did change. Man, this, this really changed his life. We don't know. I kind of wonder if Luke left this story untold so that you and I, readers, 2,000 years later, would look at it and say, gosh, am I Simon? And if so, what do I do from here? Where will I go from here? Will I continue in my ways and say, nope, category of people called sinner, I'm over here, they're over there, we're good? Or will we start to open our eyes? Was Simon changed that day? The truth is that Jesus had a way of reversing social and religious norms and trends of his day. I mean, what was it about Jesus that all the wrong people were attracted to him? And then what is it about us that it's like the wrong people they just kind of should know that they shouldn't be around us. Ouch. Ouch. Jesus saw people not as sinner, tax collector, foreigner, Gentile, outsider, or even as Pharisee. I mean, he didn't say, Pharisees, forget you guys. I'm done with you. He kept having these interactions with them. He didn't write them off either. He saw people as children of God in need of forgiveness, love, reconciliation with their creator, their Heavenly Father. So as we wrap up, the question will be for us, who do we fail to see? Who have we labeled or given certain categories to that we just re would refuse to interact with? My prayer for all of us, including myself, would be that God would give us vision that exceeds sight. That we might be, that we might be the love and forgiveness of Jesus to people all around us. Would you pray with me? God, there's some hard truths and some hard things for us to work through. But I guess that, that's what it means to come to your, your word honestly and to come to you honestly, Lord, is that you search us. You, you search our very souls, our, our, the very essence of our being, and you ask us, what are you going to be about? What are you going to do in this world? How, how will you see people? Will you see them as you want to see them or, or as you see them, God? So, Lord, give us your eyes. We, 
we, it feels like we've been praying that for a long time, but we continue to pray that, God, that we would have your eyes to see, that we would open ourselves up to miraculous encounters with people that maybe we've previously written off. Lord, but that we would truly see them, if that's friends, family, neighbors, co-workers, fellow classmates, or even just the people uh, that serve us our coffee or, or that wait on us at the restaurants, that we would see them a little differently. And Lord, uh, when we have the opportunity to offer forgiveness, that we would see that as a chance to give people back their humanity. God, may this church, may the ministries of this place be a place where we give people back the humanity that you gave to them first. Thank you, God, for doing that for each and every one of us in this room. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.